And so we're following after him. We're following his lead. And so we think God wants us to thrive. God wants us to flourish. The only question is, how does it work? How does it work spiritually? How does it work logistically? How does it work physically in, our, in the way that we live out our lives and what we prioritize in our lives? And that's why at the beginning of this year, we've been talking about how important the scriptures are, how important prayer is, how important your family dynamics are. How, and uh, how, last week we talked about how important finances are as part of your life and understanding how those work because those, those can create such stress and such pressure all that can sort of ruin your life and cause you not to thrive. Today, we're going to talk about friends. We're gonna talk about friends. I don't think you can thrive in this life without good, deep, meaningful friendships. You can't. Everyone hungers for those kinds of friends. We all do. We all sense this with this need, and I think we sense it because of what's going on in our culture. But as much as we hunger for it, I think it's really harder than ever to create deep and meaningful friendships. I think there are m bunches of reasons for it. Everything from the way our culture moves so fast to the, the, the way that our individualism sort of trumps everything, the, the, way that, the way that we deal with our own consumer tendencies, and the way we deal with our schedules. If there's one thing that's so hard on friendships, it's figuring out how to spend time together. Somehow in our culture, we, um, we, we tend to put a lot more emphasis on social media likes rather than becoming likable. We learn less about being likable than we do about getting people to like us, and, and I think that's a, a tragedy. I, I think we've exchanged, you know, we want actual friends, but we settle for Facebook friends. And I, and I, and I think this is only one of the, the dynamics to it. I think social media is just one of the pieces of this, but studies are really showing, and, and just your own anecdotal evidence is showing at work our lives revolve around this more than almost anything else. And, and so if you go to a meeting, I don't know if you've ever done this before, it's happened to me here at the church. I'll go to a meeting and I'll walk into a room and we're all getting ready and a few people have shown up and people are sitting in that room and it's total silence. People are there. They're sitting like two chairs from each other and what are they doing? checking their status, getting an email sent. They're sitting two chairs for somebody. There's no discussion. There's no, hey, how you doing today? Or there's no, um, hey, I, I, I heard you were sick last week. Are you feeling better? There's, a, there's no, there's no chit chat anymore. There's not even the beginnings of friendship <laughs> in, our, in our spaces, in our spheres. I was talking to my daughter. She's in 11th grade. And every class that she goes to, when she goes in, she has her little, she has a few little friends, but most of her friends don't go to her class. So when they go to class, when she goes to class, they sit there until the teacher shows up and most everyone is just looking at their phone. I think it's gonna take something to break us out of that. And I think we have to be the people who decide, okay, we are going to be the, the kind of people who are good at friendships 
and who make relationships count. We make them meaningful. And listen, I understand life is demanding. I mean, most of you are working 50 hours or more a week. Uh, you're dealing with stuff with your kids or you're dealing with hobbies. You're do here's, the, here's the deal. We've got to make room in our lives for deep and meaningful friendships because Jesus designed us this way. Here's what Jesus said in Mark 12. Look at it together. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, okay, so pause here for a second. Jesus is debating with people. We have a lot of debating going on in our culture right now. People have always debated about important subjects. And there's a lot of important subjects going on. But the debate is, is kind of bringing everybody to an all-time low in, the, in, in civil discourse, in the way that we relate to each other. I'll talk about that in just a second. But it was, in, in many ways, it was no different in Jesus' day. But Jesus had a way of cutting through without hurting people, without insulting them, <laughs> the only people he ever got kind of upset at or angry at was religious people. Re those are the people worth getting upset at. Everybody else, no. There's a, there's a thing here, and even when you get upset, you have to, you have to do it in a way that, that you don't sin. Here's what Jesus did. He said, a, a, a guy had, Jesus had given a good answer and a guy said, asked him of all the commands, which is the most important? And the most important one answer Jesus is this. And then he starts quoting Deuteronomy. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In other words, he's the only one, there is no other. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, your emotions, your mind, your will, and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he could have stopped there, but he said, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus says, these are the two. This is the one. If you will develop a friendship with God and a friendship with people, you'll have it figured out. Jesus boils everything down to these two friendships, friendships with God and friendships with people around you. And I think we have to really understand this is what we're called to do. This is what we're called to be. I know in our culture, everybody loves God. Nobody likes his family. Everybody wants to be spiritual. Nobody wants to be religious. But listen, we're missing out on something if we don't understand how to love our neighbor well. We're missing out if we don't understand how to develop friendships. We're missing out if we don't understand what God is calling us to in the building of community. And friendships are the way, the God-designed way that we begin to flourish in life. And so today is Group Sunday, right? Group Sunday, we're gonna kick off all these groups, but we're doing groups in a little bit different and unique ways. And so we're, 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 we're choosing to do them a little bit differently, but we're gonna keep starting them as people want to start them. Today's not the last day you can start a group um, because we want, we want there to be more community that's being created. And some of you are like, some of you are nervous about Group Sunday. It comes around and then you're like, oh, I don't know. I'm really busy right now. I don't, I know I should, but I don't know if I can. Listen, yes, you're right. You should. But there's these other concerns and sometimes, sometimes you're concerned about what's going to be at the group when you show up. Like some of you are really concerned you're going to end up in a group that's way too passionate for you. Here we go. 
You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My Watch this guy. to pay from the cross. Some of you are nervous about that guy, like trying to get you to sing his favorite song, Six Feet From You. Sing it louder. Dude, it's just six of us. Stop it. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in any group that you go to. I promise. No group at One Chapel will this happen to. Maybe Ken Parsley's group, but that's it. No, no other groups. Ken Parsley's my dad, for those of you who didn't know that. Some of you are worried. Some of you are worried about, like, who you're going to meet there. Like, you might get trapped with the oversharer. Hey, man, this is a great party. <laughs> I just need to tell you, I, I killed a man. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen, it, 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 that, that's, that's likely not going to happen, although a little higher chance, um, <clears throat> because people don't know their boundaries and their limits often uh, when they get you on the couch. But listen, the risks are worth it. The risks are worth it. Some of you are just really worried that you'll end up at a group with nothing in common with people. Got three duvet covers at Target for $7. No way. <laughs> you may have to try a couple groups before you find your one. But look, I want you, what, I, what I want as your pastor is for you to develop a lifestyle where you have a community that you belong to in the community of Christ. That's why we're doing our groups by location. We're really highlighting what's near you because with your time schedule and your process and the traffic in, in Austin, there's gonna be a challenge for all of us to be part of a group. Now listen, here's what I believe. I believe all of us are called to be part of two communities. Two communities. One is the community of Christ, and one is the community of culture. You can't, most people opt for one or the other. Most people say, okay, I'm, I, I'm just going to dip into church every so often, maybe once a month, twice a month, cool, get, get my God fixed. But really, all of your life happens, all your community is with someone else. Others of you create a little bubble with all, all your friends are Christians, and, and you're not part of any community of culture. Neither one are right. You are called as a Christian to be part of the community of Christ, to follow God with his people, and to learn and grow together, and then we're all called to live out this faith in the real world, in our culture, in our neighborhood, in our workplaces. And that requires time and energy and effort and if you find yourself choosing one or the other, it's time to reprioritize what, what you're doing and what you're spending your time on. Because, because there's got to be a way that you develop friendships that help you. I was thinking this week about something called the Johari Window. You ever heard of the Johari window? It was developed by two therapists in 1955. Here it is on the screen. Two therapists developed this, these four quadrants to help us understand all the issues that are going on in our lives in regards to relationships, in regards to how we interact with people. 
And I'll just explain it to you a little bit. If you, well, first of all, why is it called the Johari Window? I was really curious about that. I looked it up. It was started by two guys, Joseph Luft and Harrington Ingram. And so the Johari Window, I thought it sounded very Middle Eastern. It's actually their first two names put together, Joe and Harry. I'm just so glad they didn't name it the Harry Joe Window. Anyway, so, so, so anyway, so here it is. If you look at the quadrant on the left and the upper left, you'll see known to others, known to self. And so there's the arena, the arena. This is the public place where we all know what's going on. I know it and you know it. We all know the same information. Typically, this is kind of surface information. We all kind of know what's going on around us, and, and, and we share that information. But then you get to the, this other quadrant, the second quadrant, and it's the blind spot. It's called the blind spot. And it's what others know, but you don't. Other people know this about you, but you don't know it about you. It's a blind spot in your life in the way you interact with people. People, people, this can lead to gossip and fear and insecurity, all that kind of stuff. But everybody, listen, everybody has a blind spot. We all do. And so then you go to this third quadrant, which is the facade. And this is something that is known to you, but not to others. In other words, there's something hidden. You're wearing a mask. You're trying not to let other people figure it out. Or you're afraid or you're insecure. You're nervous about letting other people in. If there's one thing that we've got a breakthrough in the life of the community of Christ, it is this thing. Stop wearing your masks. Stop being afraid of sharing what's really going on. Because what you will find is that there are other people in the same boat as you. In the same struggle as you. And there's something powerful about not feeling alone in your struggle. When you go to a group, you will find people like you. And you will find people who are compassionate and considerate. And that whatever you're struggling with, they'll walk with you. But the facade is something that we tend to rely on. And, and it makes life, I think, difficult. What happens is there, be, there comes an internal conflict. Because you realize people don't know this. And the conflict just gets bigger and bigger. Finally, there's this fourth quadrant called the unknown, which is really um, no one knows it. You don't know what's coming, and other people don't know what's coming. N no one really knows what's going to happen. No one, there's certain things that are unknowable by humanity. This is where I think God steps in because God knows everything. Some things are hidden from you and from me, but God sees it. And here's what I would call this quadrant. This is the potential quadrant. This is, the, this is the quadrant about potential, and no one knows your potential. Not your parents, not your teachers, not your coaches, not your spouse, not even you. No one knows what you're actually capable of. Only God knows that. And he has more potential than you could ever imagine. And while we find each other's, while we discover each other's blind spots, and we, and we, we un unmask, let others see what's really going on inside of us. What we all have to rely on is what God is trying to do in us. And so I think, I think we have to understand that these four quadrants are operating in our lives and God has a plan for how to work out these fears, how to work out these insecurities, how to replace them with love, with truth, and, and with strength. They're called friends. 
It's called friends. It's called community. And in order to thrive, I think we have to settle the friendship factor. Look what Jesus said in John 13, 34 through 35. He says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Here's the two communities again. When you love each other well, when we love each other well, when we talk to one another well, when we share our lives well, other people see it and they're drawn to it. I'm, I'm discouraged about our ability to make friends. I'm discouraged a little bit about our capacity and our ability to talk to one another and even disagree with each other in our culture. There's nothing worse than the concept. Nothing that shuts down dialogue or friendship quicker than this, than this idea. And that is the idea that if we disagree, we cannot be friends. It's one of the worst ideas that can come into a community. There's all kinds of people sitting here in this room. And a bunch of you disagree with each other politically. I've seen you on Facebook. This realm is not helpful when we're talking about some of the very important issues that are going on in our nation. Just throwing stuff out there. I fear that we're depersonalizing everything. We're dehumanizing every conversation. We're not thinking about the people who are experiencing what's going on in our culture. We're just using ideology to hit one another over the head. I'm telling you, One Chapel, you and I cannot function like this. Every conversation can't have as a first filter a politics. Your first filter cannot be political. That's not what you're called to. You can be involved politically. I think you should be. In what we, the country we live in, in the way that freedom works in our nation, I think it's good to be involved. But that is not your first filter. It can never be your first filter. Every conversation it feels like to me, every relationship in our culture has a sexual filter. It's one of the first filters. Every conversation, every relationship is sexualized first. I think it's not accurate. It's not right according to the scriptures. And we have to understand that that's not our first filter. Sexuality is not our first filter. That we have a different calling. That the way Jesus interacted with people and the way he pointed them to his heavenly father and the way he healed them and the way he interacted and spoke to them and the way he prayed for miracles and the way he, he was for them and not against them. You saw what Jesus was for and not what he was against. Over and over again we see this. This has to be who we are. I fear that we're not even being friends among ourselves enough for the world to even care. We have to figure this out. And so I, I wanna coach you on five things, five simple ideas. And I would like for these things to be our practice as a community.
How do we create healthy, strong, and vibrant friendships? Number one, make Jesus your first friend. <laughs> make Jesus your first friend. Here's what he said in John 15, 15. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Business. He, he said, he said servants don't know their master's business, but he said, I'm calling you friends because you know everything. I'm including you on everything the Father is doing. Listen, when Jesus is your first friend, you get more information. Instead of Googling, go to Jesus. There's a thing here. When Jesus is your first friend, he includes you in all kinds of purpose and meaning and influence and information that you, that you wouldn't ordinarily have just walking through this life. He wants to clue you into his purpose and his priorities. He has people he wants you to go be their friend. He has a purpose, a design. Jesus is saying he's let his friends in on everything the Father is doing, and he's not hiding anything from them. And so interacting with Jesus as you would a best friend is where you learned how to be a friend, where you share your deepest desires with him. He shares them with you. He shares his assignments with you. You share yours with his, his purpose for us, his love, his ways. This is where we learn how to be a friend because our friendship with Jesus determines all the other friends. Determines all the other friendships. Who you're going to spend time with. Who you need to spend time with. What God is doing in your life. He determines what you do in that realm. I, I don't think we treat Jesus enough as a friend because he, he, we don't want to listen to the truth talks. <laughs> we're kind of busy. We're kind of going. I'm not sure we want to include all those people that Jesus wants us to include. We learn how to treat others by how Jesus treats us. How does Jesus treat us? With compassion, with grace, with love, with beauty, with truth, with honesty. Number two, learn the art of initiation. Learn the art of initiation. You and I, because we're followers of Jesus, we have to learn this. This is an art form that we have to develop. Proverbs 18, 24 says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We have to initiate relationships. We can't just wait for people to initiate with us. Why don't we initiate? Why don't you initiate? Mostly because of fear. They won't like me. I won't like them. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't want to go to a group because I might not like them. Yeah, it's a risk. People, people are not perfect. They're imperfect. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to find your way through this. You, but you have to initiate. I'll tell you one of the big reasons why you and I have to initiate. Because we have to learn how to share the gospel with people who don't know about Jesus. We have to find ways to do this. And if you're unwilling to talk to anybody, if you're unwilling to initiate a relationship that doesn't begin with the gospel but has an end in mind... If you're unwilling to do that, you'll never get there. Here's, here's a real simple way to do it. I, I know this is tricky, super challenging, but if you could just memorize this little phrase, I think, I think I, you, it would go a long ways to starting you off. You ready? Here it is. Ready? Hey, let's go out for coffee. That's it. Oh, I don't have time for coffee, Pastor Ross. You're too busy. I don't drink coffee, Pastor Ross. Hey, let's go out for a juice. 
Let's go out for a smoothie. Here's one. Hey, let's go, let's go to lunch after church. You guys want to join us for lunch? You got to initiate because there's people standing in this lobby just waiting, trying to find their way. You got all your little buds, all your little circle. Open the circle. We have to initiate. Number three, we have to develop the skill of listening. The skill of listening. James 2.19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. (laughs) And slow to become angry. I think so many people are angry today. A bunch of us have hair triggers on special subjects and issues. And you let it out in your posts <laughs> on Facebook. Listen, that, that's not listening. So much of social media is simply a megaphone to say what you think. I don't think it's right for us to live that way. I think we ought to be asking good questions. You gotta understand that other people have really good things to say, and if you don't ask questions, you're not gonna learn. You're not gonna be informed of things you don't know about if you don't learn to listen. How do you do that? You develop some questions. Asking questions to really hear the answer. Allow people to speak about what's going on in their life. And just just as a matter of a way of living, we ought to ask each other really good questions. One of my favorite questions to ask people is this. Hey, what are you excited about right now? And every time I ask them that, they're like, uh, what am I excited about? Uh, but they always, but they always search for something that they wouldn't have said if I just said, how you doing? Because what are they going to say if I say, how you doing? Fine. Everybody and my teenagers, fine. I'm fine. Last week I was in my leadership team meeting and I I said, okay, we're all going to go around and we're going to ask two questions. We're going to answer two questions. One is, what's your greatest challenge right now, personal challenge, and what's your great enjoyment? And we had a really meaningful conversation. But we have to stop. We have to listen. We have to allow other people to speak. Five little magic words. Here they are. Ready? Five little magic words. Tell me more about that. Those are magic words to getting people to talk more. It's like they say something, and usually, so people are talking to you, they say something to you, and then you're, you're like formulating what you're going to respond with in your mind. Instead of doing that, just say the five magic words. Wow, interesting. Tell me more about that. Gusher. Happens every time. I have a group in my home. People are, you're going to hear me say this in my group. We're going to have a conversation, and it'll kind of get to a lull. You want, you want to know what the secret to great conversations is? The secret to great conversation, here it is. Awkward pauses. That's the secret. You got two ears and one mouth. There's a reason for that. Number four. Number four, unleash the power of encouragement. Unleash the power of encouragement. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Everything we say is supposed to engender this encouragement. There's a helpfulness about our language that we have to adopt as God's people. When was the last time you really felt encouraged by somebody? 
My guess is, sadly, that it's longer than it should be. When was the last time you felt like somebody just really encouraged you about what was happening in your life? I want to challenge you to be people of encouragement. Be more proactive in encouraging one another, highlighting the best of each of us. Listen, all of you have a best part and all of you have a worst part. I have some really good qualities and I have some really poor qualities as a man. You could just ask my wife. She knows them really well. Listen, there's, the, there's a best in all of us and that's what we need to keep feeding. That's what we need to keep encouraging. We need to keep focusing on that and then be open to, to blind spots, be open to others and their input, but be encouraging because encouragement isn't of itself a gift to people. It builds them up. It creates friendship. Number five, live in the freedom of forgiveness. Live in the freedom of forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Christ forgave you and me, and he deposits his mercy and compassion in our hearts. And the way it should work is it's overflowing then in our lives to others. Forgiveness should just be a decision we've already predetermined. It's a predecision decision. That when you get hurt, you've already predecided, I've received so much forgiveness, I'm going to forgive people. I'm going to forgive that stupid guy on Facebook who keeps sending around his crap. <laughs> I pushed a little too hard there, didn't I? I I'm going to forgive. I'm gonna, now listen, I don't want I, I to belittle the significance of how hard forgiveness is when you've experienced trauma or abuse. I... I I want to acknowledge that this, this can be very difficult in your life. But it has to be a decision that you've made because it's the way you've been treated by Jesus. It's the way you're going to treat others. And, and make no mistake, forgiveness is a decision, but healing is a process. So you, you can walk it out. You can make a decision over and over to forgive people who've deeply hurt you but in general, we should be people of freedom. We've pre-decided when we get offended, when we get hurt, when somebody says something that we think is a little bit over the line, we're going to forgive instead of get angry and bitter. George Washington Carver said this, I will never let another man ruin my life by making me hate him. I will never let another man ruin my life by making me hate him. We have to be these kind of people. What would happen? What could happen if we all did this? What impact could it have on the people in this room or the people who are in our culture and in our communities? Could we be the people that actually bring change to the way our culture works? I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to challenge you to think about everything in your life from a personal level, not just a spiritual level or, or even a relational level. I want you to think about how everything is personal. Every issue you discuss, every frustration you have, every conversation, there's a personal dynamic to it. 
Jesus deals with us personally about what's going on in our hearts, and that's how we should deal with others. We should embrace people as they are, not as we wish they were. And we need to begin the journey, the goal, the result. We need to begin on this journey to get to the place where we have friends who love us deeply and know us well. People we trust and people we believe in. This is our calling. It can transform the world. It can transform the world one person at a time. So Father, we just come to you and we ask you to help us not to see the world through the lens of politics or sex or or even our own consumer tendencies, but we would see the world through the eyes of Jesus. That we would see the world through the eyes of Jesus that sees every person as meaningful. Every person as someone you love and who then we are called to love. Lord, convict us of our own shortcomings and faults in this regard. Forgive us for being too isolated and too individualized. Forgive us, Lord, for choosing our friends too carefully. Allow us, Lord, to experience the wonder, the blessing, the beauty of an imperfect community. People of all walks of life and struggling together to follow you. And then to take those principles, those ideas, the truth, the grace, the compassion we learn from each other and then carry it into the the marketplace and the the world that we live in, the culture that we're a part of, and to carry and operate by those standards. Lord, would you teach us, forgive us, heal us. Some of us are gun shy. Some of us are afraid. We've been hurt. We're not sure we really want to take the risk. Lord, would you touch our hearts today? Bring healing into this room. If that's you, I just want you to breathe in. Breathe out. Take a deep breath here. Now let Jesus touch you. Let him heal you. Let him encourage you. Let him speak to you that he understands and he knows. He understands the fear and where it comes from. He understands the hesitation and the facade, the mask. He understands it, but he wants you to move, move towards him and towards others. Take a step. Take a step. And for those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've been standoffish, you've been resistant, you, you, you really you haven't even interpreted your faith through the lens of relationship, I want to pray with you today and ask you to commit your life to Jesus, to become his friend, to follow after him, to let God come alive in your life. And whether it's the first time today or the first time in a long time, it doesn't matter. Just come to him. He's ready to give you a fresh start today. 
So, Father, we come to you as a group of people. Lord, we want to follow you. Forgive us for alienating and isolating. Forgive us for resisting you. Come with your mercy and your truth. We repent. We repent of our individualism and we respond to your embrace. We respond to your call. We come to you. We say yes. Forgive us for our failures, our foolishness, our fears. Wipe them away by the work of Christ. And give us a brand new beginning today to start again. The beginning of 2017 to make this a year of community, a year of friendship to be the people you've called us to be. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.